The following has been brought to you by SJP World Media. You people, you know who I am. But you don't know why I'm here. This is where the big boys play, huh? Look at the adjective. Play. Go at it live on WCW Monday Nitro, where the big boys play every Monday night at 8 on TNT. Hello and welcome to Nitro Nights, a WCW look back podcast. On today's show, it's the last Nitro before we find out who the third man is. But the second man on this podcast, as always, joining me every single week here on SJP World Media, Scottish Danny. How are we doing, my friend? I'm really well, thank you, mate. How's yourself? I'm doing good, cheers. I'm doing good. Looking forward to getting into this episode of Nitro with you. As we said last week on the show, it's it's really it's flying along now. I just think creatively, uh, match quality, storylines, everything about the show at the moment is just absolutely flying it's cooking it's it's brilliant television isn't it yeah it definitely is uh, definitely heating up on all cylinders yes without a doubt without a doubt i'm full of cold in case anyone can't tell i've been sneezing all day i'm bunged up i feel rough as god knows what so please bear with me if you hear me sniffling coughing sneezing or whatever during the recording i do apologize danny and to you and to everyone listening but yeah i feel grotty as anything mate i think it's just this crappy weather we're getting Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, this, we're going into the minus degrees now, aren't we? I mean, but I know it's winter, but I mean, we've been quite lucky because we've had like uh, thirteen degree days in January, so I'm quite shocked. Yeah, that's right. It's uh, it's been warm at times, but I mean, the warehouse I work in sometimes it drops below freezing during the day, which is not fun. But there we go. We're not here to talk about that. I, I suppose there is a link. There is an icy link because we get two glacier promos in this episode, don't we? Yeah, we certainly do. <laughs> <laughs> the episode of Nitro we are looking at today comes to us from Landover, and it was first broadcast on the 1st of July, 1996. On that Monday evening, Nitro won the ratings war with a very respectable 3.3, whereas Raw received a 2.6 by comparison. The results from that week's Monday Night Raw, we had Goldust defeating Mark Miro, uh, with Marlena and Sable at ringside. So I can't imagine many people were actually paying attention to what was going on in the ring there. We had Mankind defeating the Garbage Man, Duke the Dumpster Drose, by a submission, which is not exactly going to pull eyes to the product, I don't think. And then in the main event, we had the WWF World Champion, Shawn Michaels, defeating his former Rockers tag team partner, Marty Gennetti, which would appeal to me, 
because I'm a big Michaels fan. I was a big Rockers fan, so that'd be interesting to see. I mean, Janetti, as people have heard me say numerous times, fuck my Janetti. But <laughs> yeah, that, that would appeal to me on a personal level. But again, when you see that we're heading into a pay-per-view on, on Nitro, and we've got the promise of a tag team title match opening the show, the world champion wrestling as well, and then the four horsemen in their entirety in an eight-man tag, you can see, obviously, the, the stuff with the outsiders and so on adds to this, but with regards to literally just the in-ring content we're getting, I don't really think there's you know any mystery as to why people are watching Nitro over Raw here, Danny, when you compare the two, the, the two cards. Yeah, it's bang on, mate. It's like one's going up and one's kind of staying in the middle, isn't it? Yes, yes, exactly. Uh, the show begins, as always, with our commentary team of Larry Zabisco and Tony Schiavone, but they're interrupted very early on by Diamond Dallas Page, and he's lost his ring, Danny. Yeah, I love this because straight on the opening, we're getting a... Um, this goes on throughout the entire night, and I love the fact that they're starting the story right at the top of the show. Yeah, and it's it, it, it sort of goes against what we're used to as well. I think there's a lot of that in this episode. There's a lot of... Um, moments or scenes or, or or sort of wrestling tropes that we are used to that are kind of gone against or aren't carried out in their usual way on this episode of Night Show. And it adds to the real kind of edgy, um, anything can happen, live TV aspect. And Diamond Dallas Page interrupting the show's intro is the first one we see of these, isn't it? Yeah, it definitely is. And then he demands that the entire building be shut down uh, on a lockdown and everyone strip searched so that he can find this ring. <laughs> yeah, it's brilliant. <laughs> uh, we then get a recap of the title change from last week's main event when the Outsiders arrived and the tag team titles changed hands. Harlem Heat are our new tag team champions after pinning Luger in the triangle main event effort that we put on last week on Nitro. Uh, the Outsiders are going to be here again this week, we are warned. So that's quite a clever little thing there, stating that right at the top of the episode, because obviously that means people are going to want to you know, keep watching because they could turn up at any point, I guess. Yeah, and Tony Stavano said it was a rumour, so it, it just adds to the the thing of like, um, oh, okay, we're, we're not endorsing them, but it's just a rumour that they're here. But then did you hear the line that uh, Larry Sabisco said? I, I, yes, I know what you're referring to, but yeah, carry yep. on, Danny. Yep, Larry Zavisco says there will be a new world order this Sunday. I thought that was very foreshadow, uh, foreshadowing, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. I don't. Obviously, we're going to do our uh, NWO special, I suppose, or part one of it um, to coincide roughly with when our episode of Bash at the Beach comes out, which will be next week's Nitro Nights. So you'll get a bonus episode at some point over the next week or so. And the naming of the NWO, the New World Order, it, it, the timing of that, who came up with the name and, and so on, is going to be something we're going to look into there. But I didn't realise that it was referenced here the week before. Mm, same, mate. I was like, wow, that j it just stood out, didn't it? Yes, it did indeed. It did indeed. Uh, however, we have a, a title match opening the programme. We are seeing the Steiner brothers taking on another brother tag team of Harlem Heat for the World Tag Team Championships. 
I mean, these two are fantastic tag teams. Here we are in mid ninety six. They're two of the best tag teams, definitely in the in the US at this point. I don't think the WWF really have much to offer on their channel with regards to tag wrestling at this point in ninety six, really. But and you know, so so you're looking at the likes of the WCW roster, and these two teams are, you know, very high end of that. A little odd being at the beginning though with the introductions because booker t's on the phone as he comes out <laughs> that was a, a, a weird one wasn't it <laughs> yeah a proper old-fashioned big clunky flip phone as well you know one that you could really hurt somebody with or build houses out of it because they're bit massive bricks <laughs> do you know what I mean that it was a big old phone yeah. wasn't it definitely i mean paul Heyman would be, would be proud of that ha, yeah <laughs> uh the four horsemen are in their vip section um, you know, snacking away, all dressed to wrestle, however, because they're in the show's main event later later on. Scott Steiner, uh, he, he dominates early on. He's throwing Booker T around like he's a cruiserweight. He's, he press slams him, he suplexes him left, right and centre. And we seem to say it every time we see the Steiner brothers, but Scott Steiner is ridiculously strong and just fantastic to watch, in my opinion, Danny. Yeah, he really is. I mean, I'm really enjoying this. <laughs> sort of like this feud between the Steiners and um, Harlem Heat and now you've got the championships involved now it can only add to it yes exactly exactly uh, eventually Harlem Heat take a little bit of control when Stevie Ray goes to the eyes Rick Steiner tags in and then Rick Steiner catches uh, Booker T mid leapfrog and turns it into an almost a kind of spine buster power slam kind of effort now I've seen him do this before at um, I think it was WrestleMania 9, maybe, when they faced the Head Shrinkers, or maybe just an episode of WWF television back in 92, 93-ish sort of time. I think it looks incredible, because the amount of power it must take to catch a guy that big, that high, and turn them in the air. It, it was incredible. What did you think of that move, Danny? Very, very impressive. It's just something, like, it's just because... You said it best, power. is like, Booker T and Stevie Ray are not small guys at all, and it's just to do that is just amazing. Indeed, indeed. Uh, Rick Steiner suplexes Booker T off the top rope again, which is always, again, an, an impressive spot to see. It's just the, the guys that the Steiners are throwing around here are actual huge giants. They're, they're massive, massive mountains of men. So it's quite spectacular. Uh, Booker T attempts a splash from the top rope, which, again, talking about how big these guys are, is, looked impressive. Uh, Harlem Heat retain, though, after Colonel Robert Parker interferes on their behalf. The Steiners had the match won with the Frankensteiner and then the top rope bulldog that Rick Steiner does. But Parker clocks Rick Steiner with the cane for Harlem Heat to collect the victory. Bit of an odd one for me. Where's Parker fit in with all this? Why all of a sudden has he reared his head again, Danny? Yeah, that's what I wrote down. So it was like, we haven't seen him for quite a while now. And like him just appearing out of nowhere was kind of like, Okay, so hopefully we'll get an explanation of this. But yeah, yeah, it was a bit of a weird one for him to just appear out of nowhere. Yeah, it was indeed. It was indeed. After the match, we have Mean Gene talking to the Four Horsemen. And we're getting the match that we did kind of touch upon a few weeks back with regards to the Horsemen, all four of them, facing the team of the Rock and Roll Express, the Renegade and Joe Gomez. Uh, again, I think even though Ric Flair is Ric Flair and he is over the top and loud and brash and you've got the ladies there as well. You've got Woman, you've got Liz, you've got Deborah, and they all look fantastic and, and they have a go on the mic each as well. And, and Benoit 
promos aren't his forte, but he does okay. And as Michael is, you know, Steve McMichael, Mongo, he's, he uses charisma, whether his delivery isn't spot on all the time. There's something about the guy. But yet again, to me, it's Arn Anderson that steals this segment. Yeah. Yeah, you bang on, mate, because it's like... I also noticed the um, VIP section had been spruced up. Did you notice that sign? No. Was there a bit more expensive food? <laughs> Finally, yeah. <laughs> ah, okay. <laughs> uh, one thing I do take away from this, though, other than the fact that they're promoting this match later in the evening, is that Benoit describes himself as silent but violent, which just made me think, you sound like you're calling yourself a fart. <laughs> that's true actually it was such an odd thing to say i I know what they're getting at they're trying to Mm. they're trying to sort of put forward this aspect of benoit isn't a big talker but in the ring we know the guy's a machine but calling him silent but violent probably isn't the best way going about it danny no definitely not Uh, it's uh not the best uh nickname he would have in his career (laughs) no definitely not we then get the very first glacier promo of this week's nitro are you still excited, Danny? Absolutely, mate, especially with uh, the cold weather here. So I'm happy to see. Let's see who it is. <laughs> okay. Um, following this, we get, I suppose, a little bit of a comedy match. And I'm really interested to pick your brains upon this. Uh, we have the Disco Inferno making his way to the ring with that brilliantly toe-tapping, cheesy entrance theme that gets stuck in my head for weeks after I hear it. And he is facing a guy here called Kurosawa, who went on eventually to be a IWGP champion. He had one title reign with that in New Japan. I, I believe he won a G1 tournament in the late 90s, early 2000s as well. Uh, ended up having to retire eventually due to a spinal injury. But this match to me isn't about Kurosawa, Danny. This match to me is about Disco Inferno. And he just makes me laugh throughout the whole duration of the match. And it's it's so ridiculous. It's so stupid. It's so silly. And I should hate everything about it. But for some reason, I really enjoyed this. Yeah, I, I can see why. I mean, they really amped up the gimmicks in this match. They had a fake Elvis impersonator. They had the disco ball. And at one point, Larry suggested, uh, Larry Sabisco suggested that um, Disco Inferno could be the third man. <laughs> Brilliant. I wish it was. <laughs> <laughs> we get Disco Inferno, um, I, I suppose, with a little bit of mild stereotyping here as he, he, he mocks martial arts a little bit to Kurosawa. Uh, he then gets basically thrown around the ring for a little bit, rolls out the ring and kicks the ring steps in frustration, but hurts his own foot in doing it. <laughs> and I just thought, man, that's so funny. Yeah. Uh, we, we see a Samoan drop by Kurosawa before Disco Inferno's music hits again. And some guy comes down, as you said, Danny, dressed in disco gear, a little bit Elvis-esque, and, and is dancing in the entranceway. The referee and Kurosawa turn and look at this guy. As the music is playing, the big disco ball comes down that is part of Disco Inferno's entrance. Uh, and Disco Inferno uses this and, and hit, well, I say hit, he barely touches Kurosawa with it. <laughs> Kurosawa sells it like he's been shot and Disco Inferno <laughs> wins the match. It's the most ridiculous thing ever, but I laughed all the way through. So as far as I'm concerned, I was entertained. Yeah. I fully agree. I mean, it's a nice little break from the seriousness that we've been covering with the outsiders come in and the Steiners and Harlem Heat feud in. This is a nice pick-me-up, wasn't it? It was. It was. It was very good. Up next, we have Scotty Riggs versus Diamond Dallas Page after we see a 
silly Jim Duggan promo on the picture in picture with, with, with Duggan talking about, um, you know, something to do with Diamond Dallas Page's lost ring. And then he's got a match with him at Bash at the Beach. And I think Larry Zavisco sums this up well when we go back to the match because he says on commentary, did Duggan actually have a point? <laughs> And it's like, I don't think he did. <laughs> no, a very valid question. <laughs> Talk us through this match here then, Danny, what you saw here. Well, this was, um, it was to me, this, we, we use this term a lot, but um, Saturday night match, I would say this is, because it was quite a lot of, it was like, also it was a showcase match, like, because DDP was um, definitely the star here. And he's like amping it up. He's like, okay, I've got this match on Sunday with Jim Duggan. So um, he's put on like his, his uh, best performance here to get people in, interested in his match. Um, there was, to me, it, it just, it, it kind of wasn't really noteworthy because it's kind of, it's just kind of there. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think the biggest thing we can take from this match is it's another time DDP is on television. It's mm. another time DDP hits the diamond cutter and wins with it. Yeah. So again, it's just adding emphasis, adding heat, adding, I suppose, importance to that move, the diamond cutter for me. Yeah, I can see that. And after the match, we get a little bit more from Paige because he rants at Mean Gene about his lost ring again. He's not concerned too much about Duggan on the weekend. He's more concerned about this piece of jewellery he has lost. And he, he accuses Gene, maybe, of taking it and wants to go through Gene's pockets. So that was, uh, <laughs> again, a little bit of comedy. It, it's, it's quite good. Yeah. Following that, we have a match here <laughs> between two fellas who probably most likely faced each other 14, 15 years ago as well. We have the Macho Man Randy Savage, and he is facing Greg the Hammer Valentine on Monday Nitro in 1996. <laughs> Greg the Hammer Valentine. Valentine here, believe it or not, Danny, is 45 years of age. He is the same age as roughly, give or take a few months, as AJ Styles, John Cena, and CM Punk are now. Wow, that's mind-blowing. That is absolutely mind-blowing, mate. Yeah, uh, with the hair and the way, you know, the facial expressions he pulls and, and so on, Valentine kind of looks like the female, the, the weird female PE teacher that every school had <laughs> that would spend too much time with the girls in the locker room. Do you know what I mean? That kind of yeah. butched female teacher yeah the, the one that everyone sort of had, had an idea about but never dared say it out loud do you know what i'm getting at <laughs> yeah yeah totally mate but um there, as i was watching this match i was thinking okay so there was a big thing in the late 2000s in wwe when they had this second generation wrestler storyline and they were all young guys and you, then you look at this match and you realize these two both are second generation wrestlers and they are not young guys <laughs> So well, it doesn't feel like they are second generation. No, that's right. That's right. I suppose the their their generation before them then. The, yeah. the first generation links to their second generation. Yeah. You yeah. have less less national exposure, less television exposure and so on. So it's not like we've seen Cowboy Bob Orton at the first WrestleMania and then we see Randy Orton wrestling now. It's not quite this obviously Orton's grandfather wrestled as well, but there's hardly any 
he's not had the exposure that the younger generations have with the television and then the pay-per-view and then of course the magazines and then the explosion of the internet so yeah. it, it is i suppose just a testament again to how the world and the business in general has moved on i suppose yeah definitely yeah uh, at one point tony Schiavone asks if greg valentine is the third man and it's like, come on, Tony, give your head a wobble. Um, <laughs> Savage eventually wins with the top rope elbow drop. But what I really liked about this was it was timed with the countdown to start hour two of Nitro. And the countdown happened. He hit the elbow, one, two, three. And then all the fireworks and explosions went off for the start of the yeah. second hour of Nitro. And I thought, I wonder if that was intentional or if that was just Savage thinking that'd be cool or what I, I, I liked it anyway yeah I, I really think i hope that they do that more often because that really i mean we complained about it before was like okay like it just looked awkward before but that they got it dead on there yeah you mean when we've had the fireworks and explosions going off and there's a match still going on you mean yeah yes yeah it's a bit of an odd one isn't it you know but there we go i suppose if it was if it was done this way every time the argument would be that it doesn't look realistic if it was finishing bang on the top of the hour every single week people be pointing the finger and going well there you go a bit predictable isn't it do you know what i mean oh yeah yeah that's actually now you say that that people just be looking at their watches and thinking okay the top of the hour this match has got to end so we better go to the toilet quick <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> uh, eric bischoff returns to the commentary desk with bobby the brain heenan and heenan here now for the next hour of television is absolutely superb he calls the action he makes his usual jokes uh, and he's, he's his usual bobby heenan-esque self but all the way through heenan is selling the fact that he is terrified of hall and nash arriving mm. right from this moment till the end of the show and it just you've got eric bischoff on the other side saying well, well, Bischoff effectively has a, an almost a, a call to arms speech. The camera zooms right into Bischoff and he talks directly at the camera and he starts talking to Nash and Hall and saying, I hope you're proud of yourselves. I mean, Nash is seven foot tall, 350 pounds. Uh, you know, you're attacked an announcer. I hope you, you know, you're, you're proud of yourself and so on because uh, you haven't impressed anyone here or you haven't scared anyone here. Whereas Bobby Heenan right next to him is, is visibly terrified. So that was quite amusing to me. But it's just everything now for the next hour regardless of what goes on in the ring i think is booked brilliantly with regards to bash at the beach coming up in less than a week danny yeah definitely they're definitely given the hard sale which is brilliant um i wrote down uh, eric bischoff cut a really good promo here because uh, on national hall because like he just kept saying dove stubby you are not backing down um and he was very very convincing i mean and i love the fact that it's taken him two weeks to recover as well, rather than just the next night he appears. Um, this was brilliant by Eric Bischoff and Bobby Heenan. Yes, really good stuff. Really good stuff. And as this is going on, of course, there's a commotion behind them somewhere in the crowd. Heenan throws his headset down. Looks like he wants to leave, which again just adds to the situation a bit more, adds to the atmosphere we're seeing a bit more. Oh, excuse me. Sorry, I'm so bunged up. I do apologize. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and Horda Nash have arrived. They're walking through the crowd again, which is, again is, is always a lovely touch. So if they come through the entranceway, I know I've said it numerous times before, but if they come through the entranceway or walk down the ramp, 
then you know they're in on it. You know they're they're working backstage. This yeah. still feels real. And we know it's not, don't get me wrong, but this still has a sense of realism to it. They're coming through the crowd here. Uh, Heenan is yelling about, do they have baseball bats again or ball bats again? But they don't. They're carrying a few different items, Danny, aren't they? Yep, they're carrying a large uh, Coke and large uh, popcorns, aren't they? And the thing about this (laughs) is, um, just going back to your point there about the wrestlers coming through the uh, crowd, as Steve-O says, our great friend, he says, you want to be worked. and like, But but now, this move has been done to death, sadly. But this this is the first time I remember seeing it uh, in a long time, was uh, them coming through with popcorn um, tickets and Coke, and they could not get kicked out. Well, this is the thing. I mean, uh, I suppose... I'm going to contradict myself a little bit here, but bear with me. That there is security all over the building. Bischoff talks about there being, well, Anthony Schiavone in the first hour talks about there being additional security everywhere. And it's visible on the show. You can see these security yeah. guards milling around the entranceway and all that sort of stuff. Some of them are armed, some of them are not. Bischoff also says that there are some security who are plain clothed out in the audience. So there's even more that we're unaware of. Or so he tells us, anyway. And when National Hall arrive, they've got tickets. And they're trying to basically say, we're just here to watch the wrestling. You know, we're not here to cause trouble and so on. So they let them stay. Now, on one hand, that's a really clever little workaround. Because, oh, you want to throw us out? You can't. We've bought a ticket. We've got seats. We're here to watch the show. We've not done anything wrong this week. But that's the big part of it. They've done nothing wrong this week. If they were that concerned, they could still chuck them out the building. Doesn't matter if they got tickets or not. You know, the company that are running the, the promotion and the building that are running the show have got the right to refuse admittance to anyone they wish. Yeah. So that is a little glitch, maybe in that particular you know storyline um, tweak there. But it is nitpicking. It doesn't really matter. They've got tickets. They're going to sit in the front row, and I love this. I mean, same as Heenan and Bischoff going forward for the next hour. Hall and Nash are gold for this next hour. They yeah. are. They look so cool. I mean, Hall is walking around with a leather waistcoat on, bare-chested, no shirt, nothing underneath, toothpick. His hair is all slicked back, apart from that one bit that hangs down his face, of course. Nash is just in T-shirt and jeans, but just looks like an absolute badass. And it's just, they just look effortlessly cool. You know, they just look fantastic. And even when they're getting their tickets checked by the security, they're doing the whole, well, Nash, sorry, Scott Hall is doing the whole wobbly fingers and ooh sort of thing at them. And <laughs> Nash is there saying, we're here to see the big boys play. And then just massively open mouthed laughs in the security guard's face. Um, they're chucking little bits of popcorn around and it's just, it's just brilliantly done. Yeah, definitely. It's just such great heel work. It's just, but again, it's, <sighs> They are obviously the invading factor. They're supposed to be the heels, but they're so exciting. And the whole story is so exciting. When they arrive, they're getting cheered because it is exciting. People are happy to see them. That's true, actually. Yeah. Uh, Bobby Heenan is obviously panicked as soon as they arrive, which is which is brilliant. And then we cut to a Glacier promo again, which I thought was... Or in, in some ways, it's out of place because of what we've just seen. But in other ways, I think it kind of works because it's almost like they're saying, okay, well, they've turned up. We've got to carry on with the show as normal. Yeah, 
I mean, uh, what the thing I took away from this little bit was, are they trying to throw off fans and think that Glacier is the third man? Ah, uh, I didn't even enter my mind. Yeah, I, mean, I suppose there is a third seat with Hall and Nash, isn't there? But yeah. We'll see later on, they're sat down. There's a gap in the middle of them. They've got a seat reserved for their mate, who obviously we all know how this goes that he doesn't arrive at all during this nitro don't get me wrong but the fact that we've got the third seat there and then it cuts to this nitro promo i suppose the argument could be that you know they were hinting at that i didn't think of that before danny that's a great point that's what i just it just popped in my mind because it was like why would they play that straight after something like this but i mean yeah it would be interesting if we was living there to say in those times. Um, if it was like to say, oh wow, like imagine if that happened. <laughs> I wonder if anybody suggested, or if anybody thought that Glacier was going to be the third man, because we, you know, obviously yourself here, you you're watching a lot of this television for the first. I know who Glacier is. I know what happens and so on. But you you've not seen any of that. No. I wonder if people at the time. Who knew, who knew as much as you do now about Glacier and so on. I wonder if people at the time had the passing thought of this new person coming in, Glacier, he's going to be the third man, obviously, or anything like that. So that'd be really interesting to find out. Yeah. yeah I wonder if we'll, we'll do a bit of digging for our NW episode and see, uh, see what people suggested could be the options for the third man or, or what people's guesses were at the time, maybe. But there we go. We are then greeted by John Tenter with half his hair still cut as he is taking on the giant. There's not masses to say about this match, really, Danny. It's just two big blokes being big and bumping into each other. Mm. Um, the giant controls pretty much the whole match before John Tenter hits a couple of clotheslines and then one off the middle rope, which I thought was relatively impressive because of his size. And then a drop kick, which was which was nice as well. Uh, before Kevin Sullivan comes out, Bubba comes out. Uh, there's a bit of a, a bit of a mess there. We get a massive choke slam. The giant wins, and then Bubba shaves half of Tenta's beard this time. Yeah, I, I found that a bit odd. Um, the, what I found most hard to watch about this match was there was just too much action going on in the corners. Um, that's the first time I've noticed something about like, the Giants matches is like he just spends too much time either kicking someone in the corner or they kick him in the corner or punch or something like that. And it's like, oh, man, you're just leaning up against the corner. Can't you just get out and wrestle? <laughs> OK, yeah, that's interesting. I suppose you're right because he has the spot where he crushes into them, doesn't he? He, mm. has the, he has the spot where he literally just throws punches and kicks whilst they're in the corner. He has the one where he puts his big boot up under their under their chin into their neck and stuff, doesn't he? So yeah, okay, yeah, you're right. He spends a lot of time in the corners. Yeah, and also I did note down that Scott Hall or Kevin Nash did not look sports entertained. No, they did not look sports entertained <laughs> at all. <laughs> they looked very bored during this. Um, <laughs> the Dungeon of Doom are then with Mean Gene, and we're getting Razor, Razor, Razor chance, which is, um, I think, a reference to Scott Hall, as opposed to the Razor that Bubba just used to shave um, <laughs> to shave Tenta with, but there we go. Perhaps, perhaps the razor, perhaps the hair clippers are over. I don't know. I'm, Maybe. I'm <laughs> hey, scissors are over now, so you never know. Well, yeah, there we go. Um, <laughs> uh, the giant then cuts a promo that I think is one of the worst I've seen so far on WCW, just because 
he's rambling. He doesn't really know. Again, I suppose it's an advert for why some people should have scripted promos mm. because he doesn't really have a point to make. It almost feels like he's got a couple of things he wants to say, but he can't quite get it right. Uh, he talks about Bubba wrestling Tenta on the weekend at the pay-per-view. And he says that Big Bubba will shave John Tenta's whole body, which I thought was a little bit weird. I mean, that's not the sort of party I want to be invited to. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> and uh, In reference to his match with Kevin Sullivan against Arn and Benoit from the Four Horsemen uh, group, the giant states that nobody should ever trust a horse, which I don't 100% know why that is. A, ho- a horse is untrustworthy animals. I know people always think about snakes and so on as being animals you can't really trust. You've got to keep an eye on them and all this sort of stuff. But a horse is untrustworthy animals. Are they going to take your watch? I don't know. No idea, mate. I mean, I used to look after some, but um, they never done anything to me. <laughs> Yeah, don't trust a horse, according to the giant. And then he refers to his own tag partner, Kevin Sullivan, as the Task Malar, which is, <laughs> as far as I know, not even a word. So it, it was just an awful promo, Danny, wasn't it? It was. It wasn't the best promo of his career, but I think the Task Manor needs to be a T-shirt. So. <laughs> task Manor. It's almost like Mallard, isn't it? Task Mallard. <laughs> maybe he was. Maybe that's what he was going for. He's, he's talking about you know, don't trust a. Perhaps it's an animal-based promo. He's talking about don't trust a horse, and his tag partner, the Task Mallard. You know, which is like <laughs> a duck, isn't it, a Mallard? You know, I suppose Kevin yeah. Sullivan looks a little bit like a duck. He sort of does, yeah. <laughs> The Task Mallard. That's what we're going to call him on the show from now on. Kevin yeah. Sullivan, the Task Mallard. The dangerous little duck. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we have a Rey Mysterio video package up next. And it's a lot of clips of his matches with Dean Malenko. And it, it's, it's the, the music is his entrance music, which is a bit off for me. It doesn't quite suit the character, but whatever. And the promo shows how great Rey Mysterio is, Danny, doesn't it? It does. Um Personally, I would have waited a few weeks until he had a few more matches under his belt to do a hunt-up package, but it still did its job. I mean, it was just like, get him on the show somehow. But yeah, they didn't really have much to go off on. Only uh, just two matches it was, wasn't it? Yeah, I think so. I think so. Uh, but they're building to the Bash at the Beach uh, match that Mysterio is having with Psychosis, which is something I'm really looking forward to seeing again. Obviously, I've seen it before many years ago, but I'm looking forward to seeing it again because it, it is an absolute barnstormer. So I'm really looking forward to that one. Well, I remember it being that way anyway. Hopefully, I'm not wrong. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we have Eric Bischoff, though, partway through the promo. And again, this comes back to the the, the, the sort of standard wrestling tropes the traditional wrestling uh, format kind of being screwed up and thrown out the window here because halfway through this promotional tape we hear Bischoff yelling to stop the tape and cut back to the arena which is incredibly unusual and instantly it feels real it feels jarring it feels important it feels edgy the outsiders have got a microphone now and they're walking through the crowd towards where the commentary desk is and towards the entranceway. And they're just running their mouths and saying, is this the best you've got? Uh, the WCW locker room empties. You've got heels and faces stood next to each other, ready to take on the outsiders. Bischoff and Heenan's, I suppose, tone of voice and um, uh, interactions with each other change as well. They're no longer this commentary duo. They are talking a lot more down to earth, a lot more uh, realistic, a lot more concerned about what's going on. 
before all the security basically take Hall and Nash out of the arena. There's unusual camera angles here. There's camera angles looking from over the commentary desk. There's camera angles looking from the entrance ramp across the crowd, stuff that we haven't seen before, you know, as opposed to the ordinary cameras that are used in, in an ordinary wrestling show production with their, with their standard positioning. It just, it just felt chaotic and edgy. And most of all, Danny, again, it felt real. It felt like these guys were invading, didn't it? Yeah, it really did. It was just like okay, what's going to happen? And it would keep you um, guessing what's going to happen next. Yeah, it, it's just, I just think it's so well done. You know, all these things, like the camera angles, I think really add to it, really add to it. Because literally what we are watching is different to what we normally see. So it adds to that that level of chaos, I guess. They haven't got cameras in the right positions to film what we're, if this was a WWE program now, there'd be cameras set up to capture what we want, what they want us to see. Yeah, I mean, the perfect example of that is whenever somebody is in the back of a car and the, the, the window is punched or whatever. I think it was um, the ladies heading into the WrestleMania triple threat that may have happened in. There was a camera for some reason in the car watching the window get broken. Yes, that's why I remember that. Right now, I appreciate that they got a fantastic shot. And from a production standpoint, what they did looked brilliant you had a really great shot on television of that window being smashed it looked fantastic but you come back to the thing of okay look at the look at things realistically look at you know it's we all know it's predetermined we all know how wrestling works but i want to be worked i want to be i want to suspend my disbelief no matter how great that how great that camera shot was I cannot but ask the question, why was the cameraman even there? Why was the camera even there? And then my daughter asked the same question. If my young kids are asking, then they're getting something wrong. Here, back on Nitro, there's no cameras in the right positions. They've got to run there. And and it just adds to the feeling of this isn't supposed to happen. Yeah, it's like this is off script. This isn't part of the show. It just feels, yeah, you've just said it greatly, mate. It's, it's, it's fantastic. It's so good. Uh, a, a line here, that's one of the lines of the show from Bobby Heenan for me. He wants to leave. He's had enough. He, he's, he's, he's terribly on edge. He's petrified of what's going on. He turns to Eric Bischoff and says, let Tony and Larry come back out here and we can go. <laughs> <laughs> he's, I don't give a shit about my mates. They can come back out and do commentary. I want to peg it. You know, he's... <laughs> Brilliant stuff. But speaking of Heenan, um, I had a question to ask you, Sai. So we could hear something that says easel, easel. Do you think they were chanting diesel or weasel here? I think they were chanting diesel. Mm. And Bischoff has said they're calling for you, meaning weasel Bobby Heenan. Yeah. Because Bischoff makes a point, Bischoff re- recognizes the chance and says to Heenan, the crowd are chanting for you because they're chanting weasel, weasel. And we do hear that quite often on the start of episodes of Nitro when the cameras go to the commentary team for their their opening of the show. When it was Bobby Heenan early on or when Heenan arrives now on the hour mark or even on pay-per-views, you tend to notice it quite a bit when Dusty's there as well. You'll mm. hear the crowd chanting weasel, weasel, weasel at Bobby Heenan. I think the chant was for Diesel, the same as we heard the Razor chants earlier. Yeah. And I, I think Bischoff 
as I don't know if he genuinely thought they were chance for Bobby Heenan. I can't see why he would think that. Maybe he's just misheard. Or I don't know if Bischoff is trying to take, I suppose, attention away from the Diesel character, the Diesel trademark, when it's linked to Kevin Nash because of the legal problems they've had. And he's trying to reference, you know, they're chanting something else. I I don't know. But I I believe they were chanting Diesel and Bischoff referenced the weasel Bobby Heenan. Yeah, to to save his own skin. <laughs> well, maybe, and maybe just he's, he's genuinely made that mistake or whatever. I don't know. I, I I'd have to yeah. ask Mr. Bischoff myself, and uh, I don't think he's you know going to be overly quick to respond to a little nobody like me. But um, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what follows is Mean Gene backstage, and he is with Hacksaw Jim Duggan, and this is a very standard Jim Duggan promo. He is quite cartoony. He's quite late WWF-esque. He's quite over the top. And he almost plays he almost plays himself off as being a bit simple at times, Danny. Yeah. I mean, it, the, the perfect term for this, like, I, I think I'm going to steal one of the other words, is very shouty, ranty, because, um, yeah, this felt like it would fit in 1988. But he did have a point in this. He found DDP's ring. Yes, he did. He said he was in the restroom getting ready to relieve himself, which is probably the poshest that Jim Duggan has ever sounded. Yeah. And he looked down and there was Diamond Dallas Page's battle bowl ring on the toilet floor. Oh, dear. Uh, <laughs> DDP <laughs> arrives. There's an exchange of work. I mean, DDP accuses Duggan of stealing the ring. Duggan responds with, don't you call me a thief? Don't you call me a liar? In fact, don't you ever call me anything? Before the ring is dropped on the floor, DDP bends down to pick it up. In the meantime, uh, Duggan tapes his fist and nails DDP when he stands back up to a vertical base. It does what it needs to do, I suppose. Yeah. It, it sort of makes you think about their match at the weekend. It gives It's not just a match for the sake of a match. It gives them... I suppose it always comes back to that thing that I keep saying, give me a reason to care. They're trying to give me a reason to care here. They're trying to give me a reason as to why these two are going to wrestle on the weekend. Yeah. So I suppose from that aspect, it, it does its job, Danny, I think. It does, yeah. It's like, okay, we could we could set up a match or give a little bit of a story to a match uh, in about 30 seconds rather than wasting having both wrestlers come out in the ring and cut a promo to set up the match. So this could, um, yeah, this could set up the match. Mm, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, back in the arena, then, we have the eight-man tag main event. The team are quite an odd combination. I'm not going to lie. This is a bit strange for me, Danny, seeing these four together. We have the Rock and Roll Express teaming with Joe Gomez and the Renegade, and they are taking on all four members of the Four Horsemen. How cool do the Horsemen look? That music hits... The three ladies come out first, and you can't even see the, the wrestlers. You can't even see the guys until they start going down the sloped part of the entranceway. And then behind them is Flair doing his struts, talking to the crowd. Benoit and Arn are just looking intimidating and staring ahead and so on. And there's Mongo you know, just basically bringing up the rear. And it, as a group, the four horsemen and, and the ladies with them, I just think, look, the business now, Danny. What are your thoughts on this this version of the Horseman? And uh, I suppose 
the big thing is for me, Mongo being involved and then the three ladies being associated with them as well. It was brilliant. I mean, the, the presentation is everything uh, here when they come out. I just, as I was, uh, as they was making their entrance, I just thought in six days, they're not going to be the number one heel group anymore. And it was such a shame because uh-huh. they were just, they just got it right with the, I mean, we've been seeing the build up for months now, but they've just got all the, all four members. They've got the ladies, they've got everything. They've got the VIP table and it's just they're just going to be eclipsed in six days from this and it's just a damn shame that is very true that is very true it, i didn't even didn't even enter my mind because i mean obviously the nwo when they're formed in six days and so on they're supposed to be the heel faction but they get cheered so often yeah and and the horsemen are supposed to be a heel faction but it's the same principle as you know flair when he's solo in certain areas, because these they've got this aura about them, the name value of Ric Flair and the, the Four Horsemen, they get cheered in certain arenas anyway. It's again, it comes back to that whole adage of good guys and bad guys maybe being a bit outdated at this point, mm. because you have good guys do bad things and bad guys also do good things. You blur the lines a little bit. You've got the cool heels of the NWO arriving. You've got the heel group of the horsemen who, as you know, spoiler alert for anyone who's unaware, but I mean, don't get me wrong, this is you know, from 1996. They eventually become baby faces and battle against the horsemen. It, uh, sorry, against the NWO. It's it, it, there's a lot of moving parts, a lot of blurred lines, I think, Danny. Yeah, and um, this match, though, um. I liked it, but it's just like, I remember saying a number of weeks ago to you, Si, about um, the Renegade and Joe Gomez having their payoff, um, or not getting their payoff. I feel like this was their payoff, and I, I'm not going to lie, I don't want to see them anymore. <laughs> <laughs> why, is, why is that, Danny? Why don't you want to see them anymore, mate? I think the story is kind of dragged on now for these guys because, um, yes, they were attacked uh, a few weeks ago about a horseman backstage. They had that uh, absence where they weren't there. And then they had uh, a match, um, I believe it was last week. And it's like, okay, but why are you in the main event now of Nitro? Why, like, you, you've had your, your kicking, take it like a man and get back down to the card. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Flair and I want to slap you about a bit. Go back to Saturday night. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, to me, it's just a case of they wanted the horsemen to wrestle as a unit here. So um, they had to assemble a, a four-man team to face them. So I suppose rather than just grouping together any random four guys, at least there's a bit of history with Gomez and the Renegade and the Horsemen and the Rock and Roll and the Horsemen have always got history going back to the 80s and so on. So I suppose yeah. there is those kind of links there. But, I mean, the result in this one was never really in doubt for me. It's always going to be the Horsemen winning this. And yeah. rightfully so. Uh, I-, I agree with you. I'm not a fan of Joe Gomez. He's not done anything so far that makes me think I want to see him wrestle again. The Renegade you know bless him obviously no longer with us very sadly so he is nowhere near experienced enough to be in the role he is in but that's not his fault 
and yeah. it's a shame because he he struggles i think at times even in the ring with the likes of flair Arn, benoit and so on but this whole match this whole device is is literally just been set up i think to get the horsemen out there as a unit because they keep talking about being complete again there's four of them now everyone better watch out we are complete again we are you know we are full we are the four horsemen so i think having them wrestle as a four is quite an important step with regards to solidifying that. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Because one thing I will say about this is um, Ric Flair is selling huge for Joe Gomez in this match. I don't know if you noticed that. Yeah, I I think Flair, to be honest, he sells massively for for a lot of people. Mm. You know, unless it's Scott Steiner back in the early 90s. But uh, (laughs) (laughs) he sells uh, for a great deal. Flair's a... Flair's whole gimmick that he made his money and he made his name on wasn't just the fact that he was a great wrestler. Flair spent massive portions of his career, especially when you had the old territory days and he was the touring NWA world champion. He would fly around the ring, bump all over the place and make his opponent look great. And then eventually escape in some chicken shit way of his title. So it's kind of what Flair's always done. So even here with Gomez, uh, we've spoken about Flair you know, a great deal on the show in the past with regards to certain matches he's had where he's trying to make his opponent, Danny, where he's trying, he's bumping around making his opponent look good. And we had it with the Giants. We had it with you know various opponents. He's, uh, Luger, I think he wrestled Luger on an episode of Nitro and he flew all over the place making Luger look fantastic. It's just kind of what Flair does. And I think some people forget about that in yeah. portions of his career. Because you look at Ric Flair in later years, the crazy guy who elbow drops his own jacket, the guy who has all these, you know, who can't seem to let go of the business, the guy who could barely move in his later matches, the guy in TNA who sadly wasn't, you know, displaying the, the high points of what Ric Flair is capable of. People just think of him as chop, chop, woo, figure four, maybe takes a backdrop or gets thrown off the top rope. Which does happen in pretty much every flare match, don't get me wrong. But I mean you also need to go back and do your research properly. You know, if all you can think about Ric Flair, I'm not saying you, Danny, I'm talking in general. Nah. If go back and look at the Flair's earlier work. Go back and look at how Flair made Sting. Go back and look at Flair versus Wyndham and Flair versus Dusty Rhodes and Dustin Rhodes and and all these all these people and how Flair would bump all over the place and work his socks off so his opponent looked good. I mean, don't get me wrong, there's a selfish aspect to it too because if he's going to lose to this guy, he wants his opponent to look good because if his opponent yeah. looks like shit, he's lost to he's lost to a nobody and you don't want to get be getting beat by a nobody. Also, there's the potential of a rematch if his opponent looks good in defeat there's the option of a rematch which means more money and so on so you know it's all old school business mindsets but i get a little frustrated when people just go oh bloody old rick flair that old man it's not that's not the case and i think here with joe gomez you've hit the nail on the head again he sells a great deal for joe gomez but i don't see that as being unusual does that make sense yeah that does mate yeah i felt like i went on a bit of a bit of a tangent then i apologize no Um, (laughs) Uh, the heels can't really get started in this match, though. After everyone piles in early and we get a crazy, you know, eight-way brawl to start, uh, everyone kind of takes it in turns from the Horsemen, apart from Mongo. So we have Arn, we have Benoit, we have Flair tagging in and out. They can't really get started. The faces kind of dominate, 
Uh, and whilst this is going on, we're told that Ric Flair is going to face Conan at Bash at the Beach for the US title. That was a bit out of the blue, Danny, I think, wasn't it? That was, yeah. I mean, definitely before um, our next uh, our um, Bash, uh, Bash of the Beach episode, I'm going to see if anything happened on Saturday night because, uh, yeah, that was completely out of left field. I mean, I don't think they've interacted, have they, on Nitro? I don't think so, no. I, I think it's it may be just something giving giving Flair something to do. Yeah. Because Hogan's coming back. We know this. Hogan is due back from his filming and whether Hogan, we know where Hogan ends up when he returns, of course. But even if that wasn't the plan and the plan was something else, Hogan's going to go straight back into the main event picture. The Giant is the current world champion. Kind of need something for Flair to do in the meantime. To me. Yeah. You know, so I can understand him facing Conan for the US title. I, I don't know. I can't remember off the top of my head the outcome of that match. It wouldn't surprise me if Flair actually does win the championship there. Because yeah, that would, it would give yeah. him something, again, give him something to do. And the US title you know, means quite a bit at this point. So that would be interesting there. I mean, even if Flair goes out and doesn't win the championship, it elevates Conan and the title again. So that's, you know. Yeah. It, it is a bit out of the blue, a bit left field, but I can kind of see what they're up to, I guess. Um, we're also told that we have Public Enemy and the Nasty Boys. And my eyes just rolled into my head and my heart <laughs> sank and I just felt a little bit ill. Until yeah. we're told it's going to be a dog collar match. So at least on that premise, it's a match that I don't ever want to see again, but they're giving us something slightly different. So... I guess we can let them get away with it, Danny. What What are your thoughts on this announcement? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's as you said when they announced the stipulation, it it just changes your mind. It's like, oh wow, rather than just another extreme match where everyone just throws weapons into the ring or just a, a normal tag match, now we've got something very intriguing—a double dog color match. Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, it's something that I haven't seen too much of. I don't, I can't really recall. A, dog collar match um i think is it something that was around in the 80s uh what a dog collar match in general or the yeah. the tag team version uh, uh any dog collar okay match. right yeah, yeah. Uh, dog collar matches were quite big uh, I, I say quite big they, they were used in the territory days because you had the blow off of certain feuds would always have a stipulation added to it normally a cage match um greg valentine and roddy piper at one of the very early Starcades, had a very famous dog collar match, which made that quite a prominent stipulation in in that sort of that time and that area of the country. I guess it was quite the bloodbath. I, I think I sent you a. Yep, I've actually watched that. Uh, ah, okay, great, and it was brilliant. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, a little bit of context, people listening. Danny told me when when he watched this episode, bloody how Greg Valentine turns up. And he said that, uh, where was it? You remember this, this is amazing to me. It blows my mind. But again, I suppose it shows the difference in ages and generations, I suppose. Where was it? You said you knew Greg Valentine from Danny Sunday night heats from 2005. Fucking hell. <laughs> so naturally I had to tell Danny to go back and watch a couple of, uh, you know, older matches in Valentine's career from when I suppose you could argue that he was more closer to his prime. And one of them was the dog collar match versus Roddy Piper at the, I think it was the first Starcade, wasn't it? Yeah. What did you think of it? It was very, very violent. Um, it's just, to me, it was like, 
something completely different as you were saying earlier about the cameras and everything there wasn't many cameras i noticed in that it was like almost like a one shot kind of deal with, with a camera but it was it was just gnarly it was a lot of blood and real that's how i felt about that yeah yeah it's very much of its time as well lots of blood dark dingy smoke-filled yeah. arenas and so on then somebody, I think Roddy Piper burst an eardrum or something, per, uh, permanently damaged his ear from that. Um, yeah, I think so, yeah. Yeah, it was just but excellent match all around. Yeah, I'm glad that your only memories of Greg Valentine are now not turning up on Nitro in 96 and Sunday Night Heat in 2005 <laughs> or whatever it was. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he was a different wrestler in 83, I'll tell you that. Um, yeah. <laughs> back to Nitro then. Eventually... The heels do get a foothold in the match when Ric Flair kicks somebody in, or kicks Joe Gomez, sorry, squarely in the balls, and then jabs him in the eyes when the referee isn't looking. And that's when we get Mongo tagging in for what they tell us on commentary is only his second match to date. And he drops a few big forearms and just tags straight back out again, Danny. That's very smart because you don't want to overexpose him when he's um, this early into his... um, um, in ring career just for t- for context um, I listened to a Deborah McMichael uh, shoot interview the other day okay. and they talked about this period and um, uh, according to her it was uh, always uh, Mongo's dream uh, to get into wrestling it, he did not want to be the, ring, uh, the commentator so this moment knowing that this moment had to be huge for him and he had to be nervous but I think it was very very smart for them to just have him do a little bit and then tag out quickly what do you think about that Si? Yeah I agree I agree it's easy to he's still learning his trade yeah. And it's easy to hide any shortcomings. Well, I suppose it's easier to hide shortcomings in a tag. It's even easier again in a six man or an eight man tag. So I think it's quite a clever way of doing things. And I mean, he plays his role in the finish as well, which I think is quite important because even though he's not really done anything in the match, he's involved in the end of it, which is what people remember. So yeah. that adds to, you know, that aspect as well. Yeah, I think I think you're right, Dan. It's a very clever way of having him involved, without I suppose exposing how green the guy is. And you know, obviously Mongo is incredibly unwell, uh, and so on at the moment. At, at the time of recording, I've not long seen a picture of mm. um, Mongo with Ric Flair, Mongo in the the, the bed and, and sort of all wired up and so on. So you know, God bless Steve Mongo McMichael. You know, yeah. whether it's through his own brilliance or his own, uh, shall we say, lack of experience and shortcomings, whatever he does in the ring, we, we you know, and on the commentary table, we we have spoken about whether we've laughed at it, laughed with him, or enjoyed what he's said and done. He's always provided us with a great level of entertainment. So, God bless yeah. Steve McMichael, and uh, yeah, it's a it's a sad sight to see, but there Definitely. we go. But I mean, just the fact that he, you know. He was passionate about this and he really wanted to give it his all. That's what you've got to love about him. Oh, 100%. 100%. Uh, people who have a love for the business are people I respect because I love this yeah. business. I've never been in the ring. I've never been a part of the business, barring a little few spots of commentary here and there for a couple of different companies. Uh, but I love the, the wrestling business. I love the wrestling industry. I love the wrestling world. So people who share that passion, I have respect for. Among Go, wasn't the greatest commentator but he entertained me 
he doesn't turn into the second coming of Ric Flair or, you know, he, he doesn't become peak Shawn Michaels in his actual in-ring career by any stretch of the imagination. And there's, you know, this Twitter account that's, you know, what, what will Mongo do next? And it's clips of him looking clueless and screwing up in the ring. Even those that they're, they're botches, I guess is the term people use, which I'm not overly fond of, but yeah. they're botches. But even those are entertaining. Yeah. You know, and it doesn't matter if he's doing things brilliantly or terribly. People are talking about him. People were entertained by what he did. You know, so yeah, good luck to the fella. It, it, it's, and he it's was just... having fun. Exactly, exactly. And the guy's charisma, you can argue with. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I remember he uh, made a quick little appearance in uh, TNA in 2008, and he still had that same charisma, even though he was a special guest referee. He still had that charisma. Why? Yeah, fantastic stuff. Fantastic. Uh, we see an Arn Anderson spinebuster for a two count before the Renegade gets... I've written in my notes here, the Renegade gets the hot tag. But I think maybe <laughs> maybe that's an exaggeration. Maybe the Renegade gets the medium warm tag, the, <laughs> the lukewarm tag, potentially. Because the crowd didn't exactly pop for him, did they? No, I don't think they did. Um, this was definitely uh, a crowd that was more into the uh, horsemen than the baby faces, and they knew what the result was going to be. There was no way that the baby faces were going over here. No, no, exactly. Um, the renegade does miss a splash from the top rope, however, after Mongo gets involved there, and we then have Ric Flair snap on the figure four, and he wins a match with the figure four, Danny. So rare. I mean. Ah. Do you know as I watched that I was thinking when have I when can I remember? And I actually couldn't remember any any of them yet. But I do actually I do remember he actually won his Intercontinental Championship. His only one he won. He actually won with the figure four. But can you name off the top of your heads him uh, Ric Flair winning any matches other than this? Oh yeah, there's a few. There's a few. He beat yeah. Vader at one stage oh. with the figure four. Um but I believe that was by pinfall. Um, we've seen it on the show as well, I think, where he pinned someone with the figure four, but I may be getting confused there. Uh, he beat McMahon with the figure four, I think. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. At Wrestle, it, was that at WrestleMania or the Rumble or um, something? Well, Rumble 2002. Right. But I, I, I guess why we haven't seen many Ric Flair tap outs is because I believe the tap out wasn't a thing till like the early or mid 90s, was it? Well, this is the era when the, the, the wrestler would tell the referee they were mm. submitting as opposed to actually fit the act of physically tapping out oh. uh, the act of tapping out for a finish was around it was it was used in certain areas and, and certain times but very sporadically it was kind of when uh, MMA became big and mm. people were tapping out there that it kind of filtered its way into pro wrestling on a much bigger scale I'm not saying that created it but it you know it made it bigger I guess because what was going on in the UFC and the, the MMA world and so on but um I mean Bobby Heenan here actually says on commentary you won't escape that figure four Ric Flair's won 13 world titles with that move <laughs> I I think Bobby Heenan is telling Porky Pies there because that's yeah. not the case at all. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not. <laughs> but there we go. Um, Gene then arrives. Oh, Mean Gene Oakland arrives, and he has a chat with the Four Horsemen, and we basically get the standard, you know, running through different members. They all have a little say. They're all promoting their matches at the Bash at the Beach, which is what exactly they should be doing before 
Benoit describes himself as silent. No, Ric Flair, sorry, describes Benoit as silent but deadly, which is a big improvement to describing him like a fart, isn't it? I think <laughs> definitely, but unfortunately, also foreshadowing as well when you call Chris Benoit deadly. Uh, yeah, let's move on from that. I think yes. <laughs> um, we go to the commentary desk for our usual sign-off, I guess. This is something that Nitro uh, and WCW do that you don't really see in the WWF. But we go to the commentary team at the end of every show, and they kind of sign off the episode and talk directly to the camera about what's happened on the show and what's coming up in future weeks, and especially on this occasion, what's coming up on the, on the next pay-per-view. Before... We get an interruption again, and this again to me is fantastic because it breaks what we have been seeing every week on Nitro. The standard commentator's sign-off of the program is interrupted by something again, Danny. Yep, we go backstage and we see Hall and Nash again with baseball bats, and they are thrown out once again. And I was amazed by the actual size of the car that they both managed to get into. <laughs> it, it's a cool looking car. I mean, again, mm. they just look cool. They yeah. look cool. And you can see when you've got the likes of Diamond Dallas Page in his luminous green tights, shouting about a bloody ring that he's won. Um, Jim Duggan ranting about going to the toilet. The nasty boys looking past their sell by date. Tento you know, with half a head. Okay. Exactly. Tento with half a haircut. Uh, the Renegade and Joe Gomez aren't exactly, you know, they don't strike me as being cool for 96. Hmm. You can see why the outsiders were getting cheers because they are cool. They do appeal. They are edgy and they, they're in, I think it was a convertible Corvette they got into for crying out loud. That's a cool car. Definitely. It's, but I was just, uh, that's what I was just saying. I was like, how did both of them manage to get in that car? Yeah, it's not a big car. As cool as it may no. be, it's not a big car. <laughs> yeah. um, I like a couple of lines we get here as well. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you what, actually, something else that I really like about the realism of the Hall and Nash situation is that we see wrestlers arrive backstage when they've been banned from an arena. Austin is one that pops to mind. Yeah. And they will run through the security. They'll take out 15 guys. <laughs> and then they'll run through the backstage area, taking out another 20 guys. And then they'll get to the ring and their music plays. So obviously they know they're coming. They get to the ring and they wipe out people in the ring as well. I mean, Austin, I think on one occasion, you know, took out 50 people or something stupid yes. like this. Right Now, don't get me wrong. Watching that back, I get goosebumps, I get excited, that glass breaks, the music hits, Austin hits stunners and everyone. It's brilliant to watch. But it's sports entertainment. It's a production. It's, you know, all predetermined. predetermined sorry. Here, with Paul and Nash, they get escorted out by the security. They get thrown out earlier on, on the show. And the WCW guys can't get to them. That felt more realistic. Because there's 20 security guys to two two outsiders. Of course they're going to get escorted out. These guys have got guns for crying out loud. Yeah. And here, it happens as well. They're trying to get into the building. And yes, it's, it, it's edgy. It's different. It disrupts the end of the show. And, you know, all that sort of stuff. But ultimately, they achieve nothing. Because they can't get in. The security do their job well and get them out. 
so again, it's just it's different to what we're used to in the wrestling world, Danny. Yeah, it's just like you just put it greatly. I mean, you'd be expecting them to just run in, attack someone, to just do the hard sell for the pay per view. But like, we're going to see more of this. But no, they were unsuccessful, so they get in their car and they're presumably driving to um, Daytona Beach. Yes, yes. And we got a few brilliant lines. Um, Nash is telling all the security guards to go and get a job that can pay them some real money. Um, <laughs> he also offers to buy them all a donut, which I thought was very generous of him. Yeah. And then as they get into the car, Hall slips into the in, into his seat quite easily. Nash is obviously a, a very big guy, and this is not a massive motor vehicle. He goes to get into the car, and there's a security guard who takes a couple of steps towards him, almost to usher him in. And Nash turns around and basically tells him to back up. He'll get in the car as slow as he likes. Don't you know I've got bad knees? Which I thought was just absolutely fantastic from Kevin Nash, talking about his bad knees at this point. It was brilliant. Oh, that's amazing. He's one week into his job, and he's already complaining about injuries. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and that's how the show goes off the air, Danny, isn't it? Yeah. Um, We've got a couple of things that we normally do at the end of Nitro Nights and a couple of things we normally do at the end of Nitro Nights when it's a go-home show for a pay-per-view or whatever. So, first of all, we will rate the episode with our Woos and Arrow Brothers, our plus points and our bad points. Brother, 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 brothers, brother, brother. Danny, first or second, my friend? I'll go second this week, sir. Okie doke. Uh, my O brother, my negative this week is painfully obvious, I think, to anyone who has listened to the episode up to this point. The Giants promo. This is your world champion. If he can't talk, don't let him. If he can't talk, get Jimmy Hart to do it. If he can't talk, let Kevin Sullivan do it. Don't yeah. let the guy stand there and make himself look stupid talking about men shaving the bodies of other men. It's not something I want my world champion to be talking about referring to your tag team partner and your manager as you know the the task duck or mallard or mallard whatever he referred to him as is is ridiculous yeah. you know it's just if he can't talk don't let him talk it's that straightforward so true mate well said what about your old brother my friend mine would have to be the giant versus uh john tenter going too long um okay even it was relatively quick, you could say, but even for that amount of time, it was too long for me, and it was just too plodding. Yeah, you're always going to get plodding when you have two guys that size in the ring, aren't you? Yeah. And again, you come back to the thing of wrestling is uh, these with, with the big companies. Wrestling's obviously a buffet, isn't it? As as the phrase mm-hmm. goes that we hear, and they have to have a little bit of something for everybody. If you want to watch, you know. Uh, just the cruiserweights, so that's fine. There's, there's promotions out there on a much smaller scale that will cater to that taste. If you want to watch just brawling, obviously, you know, there are companies out there once upon a time that would very much cater to just that taste. I mean, Memphis is one that jumps to mind, but the big companies like the WWF and WCW and so on, I suppose they have to try and cater to lots of different audiences because they're on a national or international scale. A match like earthquake sorry john tenter and the giant is not the type of wrestling i enjoy there may be other people who who do enjoy it but i agree with you danny it it wasn't it wasn't great was it no 
No. My woo this week, my big positive. Um, special honorary mention to Bobby Heenan and Eric Bischoff on commentary because they fervored the show. They fervored every angle and they added to the realism of everything we saw. But the realism of everything we saw was incited by the outsiders. My woo this week is Hall and Nash and everything they did on screen. Maybe I think it was uh, three different segments they were involved in, in total. Yeah. And each one was believable. Each one was entertaining. Each one added more mystique to who the third guy is going to be. Each one furthered their own storyline and the invasion aspect of it. And each one was bloody funny. And it really entertained me. So the Outsiders, Hall and Nash, this week get my woo, Danny. What about your good stuff? It, w- it was a hard one this week because there was a lot on here. But I would have to go with Disco Inferno because... Um, the ridiculousness of that disco ball hitting Kurosawa just made me laugh so much. But no, oh. just just for him as well, to pull out all of his um, his tricks and his gimmicks as well. Um, he was on full display here. He was brilliant, wasn't he? Yeah. So good. I mean, he, again, we've spoken about disco a few times on the show, and he gets a lot of grief online, sometimes rightfully so, because the stuff he says now on podcasts and on Twitter and so on can be a bit nonsensical. But here, as the Disco Inferno character, I find I'm finding him so entertaining. I'm finding him so so good to watch. And yeah. as irritating and as cheesy and as annoying as it is, that entrance theme when it plays, man, I'm gonna be humming it all night. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So then, hit, miss, or middling for this episode of Nitro, Danny. Big hit this week, sir. It was fantastic. Um, you did have, I mean, it, it wasn't fantastic for the giant because it just it wasn't his night. But the rest of it, um, it definitely get you invested to get into the to go and buy the pay per view and watch it. So yeah, yeah, big hit this week. How about yourself, mate? I agree. I agree. Massive hit for me as well. And I suppose I seem to be saying this quite often. I'm going to be a little bit of a contradiction, a little bit hypocritical, maybe. I I look at the wrestling business and think it says wrestling on the poster. Mm. To me, the in-ring product, the wrestling, is what I'm interested in. Yeah. Here, it, on this episode of Nitro, really, when you break it down, the in-ring stuff wasn't great. The opener was decent. The tag match was decent. The Disco Inferno match was just a gimmick-filled load of nonsense, as entertaining and as funny as it was. The Giant versus Tenta was pretty dreadful. The main event was... You know, it was all right, but it was, it's not something I'd rush to watch again. The in-ring product on this episode of Nitro was far from spectacular. Mm. But everything outside of the ring, I really enjoyed. So it's a big hit for me on the aspect of the outside of the ring stuff really worked for me this week. Brilliant, mate. And as always, heading into a pay-per-view or a clash or with a go-home Nitro, shall we say, we play a little game where I ask Danny what can he remember is on the pay-per-view card. Because WCW, famously, when we started Nitro Nights, didn't tell us bugger all. <laughs> we, we might know one match, and people are expected to part with their hard-earned cash, and then you end up with shit like Sting versus Meng and crap like that. So, <laughs> Danny, what do you think, or what can you remember, or what have we been told is going to happen at Bash at the Beach in six days' time, or the the Nitro Nights episode of Bash at the Beach in about a week's time. So I would definitely from this episode we know that um the big six man tag is happening. Yes. We know the third man will be revealed. 
we know John Tenter versus Bubba is happening again. With the we, bit load of coins on a pole, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> a silver dollar on a pole. Um, we know Disco Inferno is facing Dean Malenko. Yes. And now we know Ric Flair versus Conan, which um, until you brought that up, I really oddly couldn't remember that, <laughs> that being announced. But yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's all I could remember on the top of my head. I know there was more. but There's two more yeah. that stand out to me. Yeah. Uh, Psychosis, Rey Mysterio. Ah. Oh. That was talked about earlier on with the video package for Rey Mysterio. Oh, yeah. And we've got the dog collar match as well, haven't we? Oh, and um, DDP versus Hacksaw Duggan. Oh, yes, in a taped fist match. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, you just said it, dog collar. Yeah, yeah, the dog collar match as well. Public Enemy, Nasty Boys. Uh, Going to be interesting. Dang yeah. on the seaside, Danny. Do you want to <laughs> let everybody know whereabouts they can find you and all the fantastic content and shows you are involved in, my friend? Yep, you can find me on Twitter at Scottish Juggalo. You can hear me on One Man's Meat podcast, which is coming back soon. Uh, with the great Chris Bellis. Uh, you can hear me on uh, Back When with the great Ty Peters, and you can hear me digging my way to Daytona Beach with the great Cy Powell <laughs> in about a week. <laughs> uh, I listened to your appearance on UTT podcast uh, oh, yeah. this week whilst I was at work. I listened back to that, and it did make me chuckle when they asked you where can people listen to you and you described this show and you said you can hear me on Nitro Nights with the great Cy Powell I say that because I know he hates it yes you you little shit (laughs) (laughs) but yeah go and check out Danny on all of those shows there all fantastic stuff all brilliant content just absolutely making waves in the podcaster world Danny I'm so proud of you it's absolutely fantastic thank you no worries at all, mate. No worries at all. You can find anything I'm involved in via the network that carries this show. And that's SJP World Media. And that's at SJP World Media on Facebook and Twitter. On Facebook, there is a page. There is a group. Like, follow, subscribe, all that good stuff. And you get Chain Wrestling live on a Monday night and the podcast version later in the week with our good friend, Mr. Mags. You get... Uh, the NXT Rise and Fall podcast should hopefully be coming back soon, as soon as um, the King, Joshua Goodwin, recovers from this crazy illness he has, and we're sending him you know, well wishes and, uh, and, and our, our blessings there. Hope you get well soon, Joshua. Uh, we have shows covering television as well. Murder in Mind, a, a crime drama show from the early 2000s that our good buddy Morty from the Morty and Fitch podcast is covering with me as well. Uh, the Doctor Who podcast with Dan Griffin. I mean, there's so much. The Waiting Room with um, Benny Mac looking at Quantum Leap. And Benny Mac himself covering present-day WWE with your buddy Ty Peters from back when, Danny, for yeah. In the Corner on the network as well. Regularly scheduled hostilities from the States, also looking at modern-day wrestling for you. There's so much there and more being added all the time. That's at SJP World Media. Go and subscribe to the main feed and all the, um, the, the the secondary feeds where you have every episode of the back catalogue of every show on its own separate feed. Go and subscribe to all those on Spotify, Apple, Google, wherever you get your podcasts. It means a huge deal to us. Also, if merch is what you're after, if you're looking for some T-shirts, including one that says, I am not a man, I am a fish in reference to our good friend John Tenter. If you're looking for any WCW pay-per-view logo shirts, we've got them all. 
we've got them all the sjp world media merch store there's god knows how many nitro nights shirts there one with scott hall saying about hi you know who i am but you don't know why i'm here one referencing scottish danny the wrestling encyclopedia himself the classic nitro nights logo shirt as well uh, also linked to that same page you have all the the merchandise from chain wrestling and all the other shows as well the link for the sjp world media and nitro nights merchandise stores is always in the description of the episode so you can find it there or simply go to our twitter at sjp world media uh, or the show's Twitter, at Nitro underscore Nights, and you can find the link to the merch store there. But there we go. Yes, at Nitro underscore Nights on Facebook and Twitter for the show itself. Go have a look at the merch. I'm very proud of the designs. And subscribing and then buying yourself a T-shirt, a mug, a hoodie, whatever, it helps fund the network, which helps us all bring these shows to you each and every week. Danny, it has been an absolute blast in the build-up to this I suppose business changing event we're going to be talking about next week. Same, mate. I can't wait to see what they get down to the seaside. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, Danny, I will speak to you next week, my friend. Take care, mate. And to everyone else, first of all, thank you for listening. And secondly, I wonder who the third man's going to be. Brother. <laughs> <laughs>